for your word. And thank you for this good report. Thank you for the encouragement that that mystery worshiper gave us. Uh, We bless you for that, Lord God. And uh, we pray that many other non-mystery worshipers would have the same experience. Thank you. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of leading a church with so many wonderful, wonderful people. I bless you for that. And Lord, as we go to your word, I pray that you'd open it up to us. And I do pray that your spirit would rest on me to bring your word to your people today. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So we pick up in the story of Joseph. You know a lot about the story of Joseph. Uh, they sold him into slavery. Uh, and uh, then he, he was a slave in Egypt in Potiphar's house. His wife tried to seduce him. He ran off. She falsely accused him of trying to rape her. He spent 14 years in jail, uh, interpreted a couple of dreams, ended up coming out into Pharaoh's court, becoming the number two guy in Egypt. There was a great famine in the land. Uh, he, uh, he helped uh, save Egypt. His brothers came back to check him out. He fooled them for a while because they didn't recognize him. Uh, And then uh, uh, eventually his dad dies. Uh, They all seem to be reconciled, but uh, they're kind of wondering what's going to happen after dad dies. So we pick up verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring about that many people, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And then over to Romans, the eighth chapter, picking up with verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose." For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Well, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. 
Well, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, over the years, you hear things repeated on many different occasions, and oftentimes the things that you hear uh, they, 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 they fall into Christian vernacular and they become rather cliched uh, and oftentimes they become rather erroneous. Uh, and one of the most often misquoted, misunderstood verses, I think, of the entire Bible is there in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I can't tell you the number of times when I've heard people say, well, you know, all things are good. All, all things are good. You know, it, it's going to be okay. There, there'll be some good that comes out of this. There's some good in this, that, 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 that it's okay. Uh, I, I hear people say that often. You know, all things are good. Oh, it's going to work out okay. Or God will never give you more than you can handle, you know, because it, it often comes out of this verse, although that's actually uh, a misquoting of, uh, was it, uh, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, you know, no temptation is too great that you can't resist it, but God always gives you a way out. Uh, That's a different kind of concept that comes through there. And the truth is that there are a lot of things in life that happen to us that simply cannot be called good. There are a lot of things that happen to us that simply cannot be called good. Uh, we, we read about horrible things going on, the, the things that are happening in Syria, uh, many of the things that are happening around the American elections, uh, many of the things that happen here in the lives of footballers and other celebrities, and, and many of the things that happen to ordinary people like us simply are not good by any stretch of the imagination. You can't say to somebody who was in a a tragic car accident, maybe they were hit by a a drink driver, and say, oh, well, you know, it's okay that you lost your leg. You know, it's going to work out good for you. Now, that simply isn't true in connecting with the the real experience that people are going through. And that's not really what the scriptures are saying. But we need to understand that no matter what happens in this world, that nothing happens in this world that is greater than God. Nothing happens in this world that is greater than the goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the power of God, uh, the glory of God. We don't understand it all, but we know That God is greater than all these things. And that has to be our confidence as Christians. 
We've been looking at the character of God, and we said God is good. That's one of the fundamental characteristics of His being. It can never change. God is good, and because God is good, God does good. God cannot do that which is not good, ultimately. So God is good, God does good, and God gives good. Everything that comes from God is good. He will always give us what is good. But, you know, that doesn't make a whole lot of difference if God is powerless against the evil. You can say that I'm good, that I might do good, that I might give good, but if I am weaker than the greatest evil in the world, then it doesn't make any difference because my goodness is powerless. My goodness is is unable to achieve what I want it to achieve, so therefore it really doesn't matter a whole lot. I don't know if that makes sense. But what we can say with God is that that is not the case. That not only is God good, not only does God do good, not only does God give good, but God superintends good. God superintends good. We see this in the life of Joseph. Now we know the story there. Joseph was the favorite of uh, his father Jacob, although he was the youngest Uh, There was one younger than him, but uh, Joseph was about the youngest. He was the favorite. Uh, Joseph's dad gave him this coat of many colors, and he's just like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm the top dog in the family. You know, I'm the one that God loves. And actually, hey, guys, I've, I've had this dream because I'm, I'm a dreamer kind of guy. And, and I've had this dream, brothers, and in my dream, you guys are going to bow down to me. Isn't that such a cool idea? All you brothers that are older than me, that have been working hard, that, you know, putting your nose to the grindstone while I'm living the life of my dad's favor, you're going to bow down and work and honor me. And, and I'll be like your boss. Isn't that so cool? Now you can imagine, uh, you know, how they would respond to that. And they did exactly. They said, well, Joseph, let's, let's go out. Uh, let's take a trip. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go see some of the sand. Uh, that's a lovely thing. So they go out, you know, and, and, and they think, oh, okay, now we're going to kill the guy because we've had enough of him, so we'll kill him. And, and then they thought, oh, man, I don't really want to kill him. That, that's, that's like a really bad thing, you know, killing your brother. Not really good. Uh, so we'll pretend that we kill him and sell him as a slave. That way we'll get a little profit out of the brat, but he'll be taken off somewhere, and then what happens to him is not really our responsibility anymore. Isn't that cool? So Joseph there, sold into slavery. He's taken as a slave. Now, so far, none of this is very good. Do you know that I don't know that there's any definition of goodness whereby I would say that if my siblings turned against me, I would think that that's great. You know, I, I've counseled many, many people over the years from big families and small families, you know, and something I've never heard, I, I've never had somebody sit in my presence and say, you know, Rod, brothers and sisters, we are at each other's throat, we hate each other, and we really want to kill each other, and that is so good. I'm so happy in our family this way. Nobody does that, you know, because we know it's not good, so it's not good, it doesn't happen. So, and then being sold into slavery, you know, most of us don't want to work a dead-end job, let alone be sold into slavery. I mean, there's no definition where that's good. You understand that? It's not, it, that's not good. That's not a good experience. 
Okay, so he gets into Potiphar's house, and he's doing a pretty good job. So he gets, you know, he, he gets promoted. That's pretty good. I like that. Except Potiphar's wife takes a shine to him, says, hey, come and sleep with me. He says, no way, Jose, or whatever the Hebrew word was then. And he kind of runs out, and she grabs his, his towel, you know, and that kind of falls off of him and everything. So he's running naked through the house. She starts screaming, ah, 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 you're trying to get me. Potiphar comes in, you know, he's really ticked off, you know, because he's trying to get my wife, even though it was all her fault, but, you know, she's not going to say anything because she'd get killed. And, and so he says, okay, that's it. You know, I trusted you. Now you're going to jail. Goes to jail. Okay, not good. I mean, they, they didn't have the cushy jails that we have today in places like Pentonville. And if you know that Pentonville's not very cushy, uh, they were worse then. So, you know, you're lucky to survive in those days. So he's in jail. Okay, now most of us, we can handle a little time in jail. You know, I always thought, well, if I need to suffer for my faith and, and spend 24 hours in the slammer, I can handle that. But Joseph here, 14 years. 14 years. He doesn't have any family. I mean, the guy's a slave. So it's not like he's going to have visitors coming and bringing him treats and, and, and helping him survive. I mean, he's just having to barely, barely make it through. 14 years, he's in jail. And then he has the opportunity to interpret some dreams. He, he has uh, uh, the baker and uh, oh, what was the other guy? Uh, the wine, uh, the wine steward, the butler, the baker and the butler that come in. And, uh, and one, he says, oh, well, you know, your, your dream means that he, you're going to be dead. Okay, that's not good either. And the other guy, he survives, and that's great. And so he's still in jail for a while because the guy forgets him. He saves the guy's life, but he's still, he's still in jail. And then finally, you know, Pharaoh has this dream that really freaks him out. Uh, and and his, uh, he says, hey, I, I know this guy that was in jail with me, and he interprets dreams, call on him. And finally, after all these years, he's called upon. He interprets the dream correctly. It's the same two dreams that Pharaoh is having. And he interprets the dreams correctly, and the Pharaoh says, wow, you're, you're, you're on the money. Now you're up. Uh, now this whole process, a couple decades. You know, a long period of time. And most of these things are just not good. Many people would have cracked under the stress and the strain. You know, the rest of the story, he becomes reconciled with his brothers. And we get up to the last, uh, uh, after Jacob has died. And for, you know, they, 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 they rightly could have, his brothers right, rightly could have said, okay, Joseph is just waiting until dad's gone because he doesn't want to shame dad. And then he's going to kill us. And so they're fearful and they come. And notice what? They say, you know, and, and it's such a funny story, you because know, they send a letter and said, you know, before he died, Dad said to do this. Now, we, we see this happen at City Temple. You know, from time to time, we have people who come in uh, uh, and talk to the staff, you know, about renting a room. And they'll come in and they'll say, you know, I, I'm really good friends with Rod. And uh, Rod told me, you know, any time I needed, you know, just to come alongside here and that you'd give me a room for free, uh, whatever, whatever I needed, you know, because, you know, Rod and I, we go way, way back. Uh, and it turns out that I might have shook their hands one time at a conference someplace. Uh, and, you know, and, and so it's the same kind of thing that the brothers are doing. I mean, they're making this up. I mean, come on. They're making all this up. And anybody could kind of see through all of this. 
And uh, they're just doing it to kind of butter up Joseph and say, Joseph, please don't kill us and don't kill our families and everything. And Joseph, then he comes and he says the thing that is so profound here. He said, you know, you guys, what you did, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph didn't say that everything that happened to him was good. But Joseph said that God was able to take all of this that you had intended to harm me, to bring me down. God took every bit of it and used it to bring about something that's good for all of us. God superintends good. Joseph realized that all of the evil of the world together could not overpower God's goodness because God's all-powerful as well as being all-good. All of the evil in the world together could not conspire in such a way to threaten God's sovereignty. And even though Joseph would have had no idea whatsoever when he was sitting in that prison cell or when he was being carried off into slavery into Egypt or when he was suffering, feeling totally forgotten and totally abandoned, you need to understand that Joseph would have experienced that the same way that any of us would have experienced that. He would have said, God, you gave me these dreams. What has happened in the dreams? I've lost my favor. I've lost my dreams. I've lost my family. I've lost everything that I can possibly lose. And he would have been in the depths of that kind of misery and despair. Don't think that Joseph was there saying, oh yeah, you know, uh, it's going to be fine. You know, God's going to get me out of this mess. That might have worked for a week or two weeks Uh, a month, two months, six months, but coming on about two years, three years, four years, five years, six years, and on and on and on and on, even the best of us, even the best of us would start to crack and doubt and struggle. And we would be caught up in the midst of that goodness. And frankly, you know, in the middle of the prison, What Joseph didn't need was somebody to say, oh, it's okay. It's going to be fine. This is really good, what is happening to you. He didn't need that kind of encouragement. But when it was all over, he was able to say, you, the world, everything seemed to be conspiring against me for evil. You intended it for evil but God superintended it for good. And that brings us then to what Paul was saying. When Paul says, all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Now this is a notoriously difficult verse to translate. And there's a lot of different ways that you can translate it from the Greek into the English. What the ESV does is perfectly legitimate. The idea here, the verse begins with the love of God. It begins with a declaration that God is love. That's the first idea that comes in the verse. 
out of love, in his love, and for those who love, in the midst of that love, God will work everything to bring about good outcomes. It doesn't say everything is good that happens. It doesn't say every experience that we will have in that process is good. It says that God, in his sovereignty, will superintend everything in order to bring about good outcomes. But those good outcomes are not promised to every single person, you understand. The good outcomes are promised to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Those who have set their minds on God, those who have set their lives on God, those who have surrendered to God through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, saying, Jesus, I know you died on the cross for me and you rose from the dead for me and I, wanna, I, I ask you to forgive my sins and come and lead my life. Those who have entered into that kind of relationship with God who love God, are called according to God's purposes, and God superintends everything to bring about His good purposes in the midst of that person's life. So it's not saying that every experience you have, you're going to experience as good, you're going to think of as good. Many times it's going to be miserable. But it is saying that most of the time, when you're in the middle of it, you won't see it, you won't know it, you certainly won't feel it. And it's in that time, that time when you're struggling, that time when you're suffering, that time when you feel so isolated from God, that time where it hurts so much that you don't think you can continue, that time when you're so exhausted that everything in you just wants to give it up and throw in the towel and walk away from God and walk away from your life and walk away from your relationships and walk away from your job or your family uh, and on and on and on, that in the midst of that, you won't always feel that it's good, you won't always see that it's good, but it's in that moment that you need to know that God is good, God does good, God gives good, God superintends good, and nothing can stop that from happening. Nothing can prevent that from coming about. Not a single thing, because he goes on, he says, what can separate us from the love of God? Is there anything? Absolutely not. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from God's purpose. Nothing can separate us from God's life. Nothing can separate us from God's destiny. Nothing can separate us whatsoever if we are called by God according to his purpose and we love God. Nothing but nothing but nothing can separate us so that God promises that he will superintend good in our lives. And we rest in that promise because we rest and have faith in a God who is sovereign, who is all-powerful, who is unchanging and unchangeable and who is faithful. God superintends good and that is his promise. And that's the whole idea of predestination, by the way. It was never an idea given by God in his word to say who's in and who's out. It was always given by God as a promise that he's got a hold of us. And if we grab hold of him and stay with him and just continue to walk in our calling, 
he is able to take us and carry us through to the end. And God will show us good. I've been through points, seasons of my life, uh, some seasons that have lasted for years and years when I wasn't feeling a whole lot of the goodness, where it was a struggle, it was difficult, it was painful. There's some seasons in my life that's lasted uh, decades, decades. You don't see the outcome right away. And it seems sometimes that the pain goes on so much longer than you can possibly bear. And it's in those moments that we need to know that the God who is good, does good, gives good, also superintends good in our lives. And Paul tells us we have a promise of this. We have a guarantee of this. We have a witness of this. And that's Jesus. That's the cross. That's how we can say that the cross is good. You look at the cross, this cross up here on the wall, that's kind of a lovely cross. It'd be a lot different if there were nail marks in it, a guy hanging on it and blood dripping down from it, crying out in agony. And that was the reality of the cross. And that was the reality of what Jesus went through on the cross. And yet, we say that the cross was good and the empty tomb was good because we know what it accomplished. We know where it led to. And Paul says, you know, if God did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us, how can you even think that God would not graciously give you every good thing? The cross is the promise. It's the guarantee. And even though the cross is not good and it's pain and it's sorrow and it's agony and it's suffering, it was the cross that led to the empty tomb. It was the cross that led to the resurrection. And if nothing else, the resurrection is the absolute guarantee, the absolute demonstration, the absolute promise that God superintends good and can bring that about even through the most awful things that happen in our lives. We just need to hold on to him and trust him and believe that God is good. Let's pray. Lord, we do love you and we honor you and we exalt you and we thank you. I thank you that in your sovereignty you have determined good. You have determined good for your people, for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And you will superintend all the situations of our lives all the circumstances of our existence as those who love you and are called according to your purpose, you will superintend all of those circumstances to bring good. And we thank you that we can trust in this no matter where we are. And I pray, Father, for those that are here today that might be struggling and suffering and feeling a lot of pain. I pray 
that you give them a revelation of your goodness. Even if it's a brief fleeting moment, give them a revelation of your goodness. And for those of us who might not be going through a difficult time, but might be feeling pretty good, I pray that you give us a revelation of your goodness that might sustain us through difficult times that might come. Lord, teach us to trust you. Teach us to believe in who you really are as a God who is good, who does good, who gives good, and who superintends good. We do love you, and we praise you, and we worship you, and we thank you for your goodness. Above all, as it was demonstrated and manifested through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.